we get a brief description of the different areas of the brain, how everything is just very spread out. Like there's, she, she touches a language center, um, but it's not the only one. And like, she just <laughs> seeping down into the cracks of the brain, spreading out. Um, <laughs> she describes smell, as, which is weird. Um, a vague, strange, disturbing, without detail, not tied to specific visual or auditory auditory memories. It seemed to be triggered whenever the human inhaled, but it was useless. Too little specific information. Uh, she talks about how the eyes are very similar to Hork-Bajir eyes. Um, and uh, she discovers the corpus callosum uh, and specifically the, that the human brain is divided into halves uh, and remarks on how this is an irrational design. It doesn't make sense. Uh, and she wonders, like, is this because it's a fully redundant system? So, like, if half its brain was destroyed, the other half could still function, etc., etc., uh, it was incredible. This second half of the brain was an almost mirror image, but not. It could have functioned all on its own, if necessary, and yet it was in some ways radically different in its memories, its sensory interpretation, even its will. Two almost entirely functional brains in one skull, communicating across a channel of nerves. Not a fully redundant system, almost a second, different brain. Why? It had to involve specialization of some sort. And yet I found visual and auditory functions on both sides. I found memory on both sides. I found motor control on both sides. It was then that I knew I was seeing something new. The brain worked by dialectic. Each half of the brain saw and heard and smelled and touched a slightly different world. Each tended towards specialization, but not a hard, fast split. The left half had more language, but not all the language. The right side had more spatial perception, but not all of the spatial perception. Confusion, disorder, illogic. The This mind could argue with itself. This mind could see the same event in different ways. It was insanity. A democratic brain arguing within itself, with no sure, certain control, only a sort of uneasy compromise, a consensus of disputatious elements. This brain contained its own traitor. And as I began to sift the memories, I saw again and again the internal argument, the should I, should I not debates the paralysis of internal disagreement. But I also saw decisions improved as a result of uncertainty, hesitation, and internal discord leading to decisions that were wiser, more useful than quicker decisions would have been. And yet that seemed a small compensation for the internal treason and confusion and conflict. No wonder they kill each other, I thought. They very nearly kill themselves. It was madness. Humans as a species were mad. <clears throat> Which is just... Love. love it. Love to be a space orc. Mm-hmm. I love this way of describing the, the halves of the human brain. Of the fact that we have like... It, it is innate in us this 
almost argumentativeness, this dual perspective, this ability to see things in different ways and approach a situation in a multitude of ways from the outset in one person. One, I love the connotations that this has of why humans are so good at morphing and utilizing morphing Mm -hmm. in different ways. Two, I find it hilarious that uh, as we look at this and goes, yeah, no, these are going to be great hosts. Nothing just like, "Mm, (laughs) this is a brain designed to fight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's literally not the whole body. The brain is literally going to fight. And thought, just like, yeah, nah, this is great. Just sort of like, my guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that, I suppose, speaks to yerk arrogance as well. Mm-hmm. And because they do successfully infest so many people. <clears throat> yes. Uh, so she keeps the host, uh, they go back to the ship, they hunt down the Horpagier body, they tie the Horpagier body up, um, as she continues to kind of come to grips with this new kind of host. Um, she digs through this human's memories. We never learn this human's name. Um, and we learn that he has a family a wife and children and he was a painter uh and specifically like like a a house painter kind of deal um and she says that his people were poorly led and had blundered into a war they could not possibly win and in the emergency of war he had been called to serve in the military And he was unhappy about having to do that, but at the same time proud of doing his duty. Um, And Idris is particularly perplexed with the uh, sense of family and connectedness with children that she gets from this. Um, It... I mean, it it speaks to a lot of things, right? So humans are, by nature, a very communal species. Um, And uh, especially, like, our family groups in particular are extremely communal. We have a lot of very strong ties in that way. Um, It's part of... uh, uh, It's partly to do with the fact that we take 18 years to finish cooking well, more like 22, 23 years to finish cooking. Um, and so, like, you have a family unit for a long, for a considerable amount of time before they reach adulthood. Uh, and it also speaks to, like, the, the different, the, how Yerks are by nature, and also how the Yerk Empire is, right? So Yerks, the way that Yerks reproduce is, in general, um, three Yerks fuse, and then the fusion of them uh, separates into thousands of grubs. Um, all three of the parents die as part of this, so there is no, like, parent-child relationship ever. 
in Yurk culture. Um, the, it is it is likely that before the Yurk Empire, there was definitely a sense of community within a pool, because if you don't have parents, then the raising of these children has to be done by the community. Um, and giving birth would be seen as some sort of, uh, like noble sacrificial type thing, probably. <clears throat> but the Yurk Empire embraces and propagates this identity of aggressive individualism and ambition of you can't trust your fellow Yurks. Because every single one of them would cut you down in order to take your place. Uh, and just the combination, I think, of those things is what makes Idris, one, unable to comprehend uh, human uh, communality, uh, but also makes her fascinated with it. And, uh, make no mistake, she is fascinated with the humans in the same way that Esplin, Visser 3, is fascinated or was fascinated with the Andalites. <clears throat> she wants to know everything there is to know about them. Uh, she spouts some similar reasons. Like when Esplin wanted to learn all about the Andalites, he was like, uh, there are going to be a lot of technicians and fighters and shit like that. I need to be known as the person who knows about Andalites um, in order to make my way. And here she's like, well, I need to know everything about humans, because if I'm going to give this species to the York Empire, I need to come with a fully prepared plan of how I'm going to conquer them, essentially. And to do that, I need to know everything about them. But also there's that underlying fascination obsession um with owning and uh i was gonna say owning and having it's kind of the same things um the species as a whole um but yeah she's like all right well this human is useless we can kill him uh, we're going to start with America because they're the other side of the conflict that we watched and they're clearly the strong ones. And Essam is like, shouldn't we start with the weaker ones because they're more vulnerable? And she's like, nah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I need to tell the Council of Thirteen that I know how to take down the most powerful of these humans. And Essam's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah and like before we go too much further I just want to take a second to bitch about like the ambient racism uh, yeah. around this defeated soldier mm -hmm. like first off like again we don't learn his name uh secondly um like uh in like Middle Eastern countries, not all of them, obviously, but some Middle Eastern countries and some Scandinavian ones too, there is mandatory military service. Literally everybody does it when they reach a certain age. 
Uh, men and women, anybody who is like, I, I don't know what qualifications will exclude you, but like, they have to be pretty narrow because it's mandatory military service. And like, admittedly, like, this guy is an artist and doing mandatory military service, um, is different when your country is at war as opposed to when it's at peace. But like, still, uh, like, there's this implication that he was dragged into this, uh, in a way that might not have been true. I don't know if, like, mandatory military service was a thing in the 90s, um, but, like, I know it has, uh, been a thing, so, in the last 30 years, um, and something I didn't think of when I made that note is that, like, so the thing about America is that we are highly dysfunctional as a culture. <laughs> this whole two parents and a kid thing is, like, a highly dysfunctional thing in other countries. Like, you live with your grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, uh, especially in the Middle East. They are big on, like, families and family connections, and it only makes mention of his wife and his kids, no mention of his parents, siblings, nieces and nephews, like, grandparents, all of the family that he is definitely going to have around him, mm -hmm. and I'm just like, hmm, so... Well I appreciate that it feels like a very reductionist take. This is also, I would argue, one of the most sympathetic portrayals of an Iraqi soldier I've ever encountered in a piece of American media. You know what? That's fair. I can't even argue with that. This is somebody portrayed as a human with a family who is pleased to do right by his country, even if the idea of fighting in a war makes him uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But he will do it because he thinks it's the right thing to do. It's his civic duty. Mm -hmm. And if you are a person like seeing w your first perspective into war and its culture is through the lens of a military conflict, you are going to look at America and go, oh, yeah, them. Because when you look at like fucking American military spending, mm -hmm. And how much more it is compared to other countries. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones, like, I, I mean, I don't know how much the average, uh, like, Iraqi person in the early 90s understood about the grand scheme of things about why America was there. For all, like, it might be the perspective of, okay, yeah, the, the Americans are here and invading. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, reading that, I, for, yes, it's very reductionist. I feel like it lacks any sort of nuance about like how different life and culture is in that part of the world. I do think it makes sense to just go looking at that and go, Oh yeah, nah, America's where we need to go mm -hmm. because they are, or at least at that point, did seem like the biggest or the most equipped to deal with an oncoming threat. Mm -hmm. because that's what the American military tries to be. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also, it could be a case of the Ameri- of the yeah, going, oh yeah, these ones are the most like us. Get the best weapon you can and go to the place and take the place and take the shit from the place that you want. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Those guys. Obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. It was uh, mostly a complaint about, like, how that particular uh, guy was uh, presented. But, like, you're right. This is probably, like, I, I, I don't, like, look at a lot of war stuff. So, but, like. Yeah. I have no doubt in my mind that this is the most sympathetic presentation of an Iraqi soldier. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was, like, intertextual Mi- with the rough time frame of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The, the American attacking force is not painted in a friendly light. They're absolutely yeah. painted as, like... The aggressor. As aggressors and, like predatory mm-hmm. on these uh, quote-unquote weaker people. Yeah. Mm. And even though uh, um, I've already forgot this or one because I keep forgetting her uh, your name, mm-hmm. but uh, even though she eventually concludes that America is where she wants to go, uh, in the book, it does make mention that, like, as far as the soldier is concerned, uh, his enemies mm. are the British and the French and the Americans. Uh, it's just that out of all of the mm. uh, enemies, he considers the Americans the strongest and the most dangerous. Which, which makes sense, like, given the makeup of the forces that were probably in Operation Desert Storm. Um, mm-hmm. I did a quick little look around like there were like 26 different nations on quote that side of the mm-hmm. conflict mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it makes sense that those are the ones like because like the uh, israel like is like as you were saying at one of the places that definitely has one of the very organized military with mandatory ser- uh, military service for like 18 year olds um and then obviously yeah the french the british and the americans so Uh, so she, she knows she wants to conquer America first, but she doesn't know where America is, (laughs) which makes sense because when you're just looking at a globe without any labels, just from space, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, who the fuck knows? Um, Also, like, also, especially like, yeah, this house painter. From, mm-hmm. like who knows where in Iraq is not going to necessarily be able to point at a globe and go yeah that's the USA right there yeah. <laughs> just like over there somewhere <laughs> mm-hmm. or even if they could like I don't I just don't think she thinks looked for that information, looked for that information was, was like or thought that he was smart enough to know it or anything like that um I suppose that, yeah, it pays point to that thing about how yurt, on the Yurk world, like, people aren't spread out the same way. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. if you were to look at a globe, you actually can't get a lot further away from Iraq than America. Like, mm-hmm. the US, like, if you think it's, like, pretty much on the other side of the globe. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like, why are they from there coming all the way over here? 
Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. And you know what? You're right. It doesn't, does it? <laughs> Not but, even a little bit. Yeah. Weird. Far be it from me to critique uh, <clears throat> American military policy. I'm English and have my own cult- country's fucking shitty diabolical military history to contend with. That's including okay. Danielle and I in- are American. We can critique it all we like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also there was definitely British military involved in the first Gulf War, so yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, we cut in before we begin the search for America. <laughs> um, we cut in with Visser Three, who's like, "Do we really have to watch all of this?" Like, really? <laughs> when he was the one who was like, yes, memory transfer protocol. This is the way to do it. Uh, this is very, <clears throat> when do we get to the fireworks factory uh-huh. of him? Just like, can we just execute him already? <laughs> yep. Uh, and Garoff is like, you're the one who told us that using information from a contemporaneous memory dump was the better option and he's like yeah but do we have to go through all of the details i can point to the portions of the record that are relevant to the issue of visser one's treason and garoff's like i'm sure you fucking could uh but we're gonna look at the evidence that visser one chooses to submit uh you might appreciate the privilege when if you ever turn out to be a defendant yourself (laughs) which is just like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> such a threat um, and the council's like alright we're gonna take a short break uh, catch y'all in a little bit cause I'm hungry um, I love that we get this detail of the two taxon members of the council just being fed constantly mm-hmm. throughout this like, and this notion that even a taxon that's fed all the time mm-hmm. is still gonna struggle with hunger and I do like the interesting notion of for all the, like they talk negatively about taxons and the issues of a taxon host that two members of the council, when they would have access to a different host body if they wanted to, given how powerful they are, mm-hmm. opt not to. Mm-hmm. I just I like that little detail. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is an interesting thought. I didn't even think about that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So while they're on break, Visser 3 comes over to Visser 1 and is like, (laughs) You think that you've outmaneuvered me? You underestimate (laughs) me. And she's like, I understand you perfectly. You have the necessary brutality without the necessary subtlety. You are crude and emotional. Uh, And. Yes, yes, one of his underlings bring her food, and it's a glass of water, a head of romaine lettuce, and two raw eggs. <laughs> I know that human bodies suffer from hunger and thirst at regular intervals. Yes, yeah, so do I to like bodies, bitch. <laughs> you haven't been literally starving. Uh... And, uh, so she, like, takes the water. She's drinking the water, because at least that, uh, is useful to her. Um, and he tries a new tactic. Uh, he's like, you know what? I do lack your knowledge about humans. I've never been in a human host, though I have, of course, acquired a human morph. 
Uh, the memory dump was extraordinary. I expect we'll soon receive demands from several council members for, for a shipment of human hosts. Less dangerous and powerful than hork hosts, but so much more enjoyable. Uh, I often wonder why we, you and I, did not become allies. I even wonder at times whether it is even now too late. <clears throat> Think of it as a partnership. You and I together, with Earth and all it holds, the only known Class 5 species, 5 billion on the way to 6 billion potential hosts, we would command more power than all the rest of the Empire together. Uh, and Idris is like, this is a trap. I know this is a trap. And so she doesn't say anything, forcing him to actually s continue with it, like, say the rest of the thought out loud. Why would we even need the rest of the Empire? Why would we need those fools on the Council? You and I together could subdue Earth and start our own New York Empire. <laughs> and Idris is insulted by the crudeness of this trap. She's uh -huh. like, ah... You are, of course, recording this, but only recording audio and visual and not recording thought speak so that I actually say something out loud and, you know, implicate myself in the worst treason. And he's like, bitch, and walks away. <laughs> uh, and then they continue the memory transfer protocol. So, uh, back into the memories, uh, having gotten rid of this first host, uh, they're on a quest to find the Americas. It's going to be just as shitty as when Christopher Columbus did. Ha ha. <laughs> topical. It's not topical at all. Anyway, um, Andrus is basically having to shift through data uh, to try and pin down... Where in the world is Karma San Diego? Um, <laughs> unfortunately, there are billions of references to America in the computer, but um, she's able to start narrowing things down, uh, figures out that America is a geographic entity, um, which is just incredible. I love the northern border seemed arbitrary. The southwestern border was defined primarily by an otherwise insignificant river. And I don't know what river that is. This is a Rio Grande. So. Is it? Okay. I think sure. so. I believe you. <laughs> and, but, uh, yeah, and the, um, Americans primarily speak English. Uh, so she uses that as a filter, uh, to sort of just try and whittle down this detail, this, all of this data into something she can use. Uh, figures out to just use, uh, anything that's voice only. Um, and starts like figures out how to get rid of the stuff that's just music and just uses television. Um, regrets getting rid of the human host because um, it would have just because it's hard for her to determine what's real and what's fictional. Um, and the situation is getting worse um, in terms of their resources, food and water. Uh, she decides to. Like, but I've still got to hold on to narrow her focus to military uh, technology uh, and realize it. And that's when we have the incident with uh, Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And she mm -hmm. susses out, oh, fiction. Um, but why? To intimidate us. <laughs> um, which is just very amusing to me mm -hmm. um but also it's just like i don't get it humans defy analysis um 
And Esam's like, yes, they're unusual, certainly. I, nothing. <laughs> and I'm just like, I love him. Um, and he's the one that points out about um, emotional relationships and that contrasted with the ability to uh, kill each other as well. Um, just sort of like, we see that he's paying attention as much as she is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, okay, we can't learn what we need from here. There's not enough time. We must plunge boldly into the shallow end of the pool, Essam. Uh, boldness is called for. And it's the last attempt was inadequate. I did not then understand the geography of Earth, I said, annoyed <laughs> at his implied criticism. <laughs> um, but as uh, rightly uh, indicated, having been exposed to television, there are four places of note in America. New York, <laughs> Washington, D.C., L.A., which is spelled E-L-L-A-Y, and Hollywood, ignoring the part where Hollywood and L.A. are the same place, which is just <laughs> very good. Um, uh, oh, of these I conclude from the prevalence of mentions in the data that Hollywood is the most important. Um, we'll get you your water, Essam. This time, the time has come for a second visit to my planet. Uh, Essam, uh, Edges is feeling pretty confident having learned a bunch of English from watching TV. <laughs> and, uh, notes that when they arrive in Hollywood, look, the letters are right there on the side of the mountain as if telling <laughs> us where to go. How helpful. Um, they land in the hills, uh, one of those big, like, Hollywood McMansions. Um, very Bojack Horseman sounding house because it's on stilts over the canyon with a pool. Mm-hmm. Um, Essam makes the mistake of going to uh, drink from it, <laughs> uh, like yeah. shove his face in, uh, uh-huh. because it, they, why would they know otherwise? Yep. And thank God they're in Hollywood because when this lass in a bikini comes out, assumes that they're monster actors from the studio. Mm-hmm. I have to assume she's high at this point. Almost certainly. I would, mm-hmm. Like, um, and this is not me being facetious. Like, it's quickly revealed about that this young woman is a cocaine addict. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, Essam discovers the wonders that is chlorinated water, uh, and it burns. <laughs> um, but this is a TV producer's house. A uh, guy called Lowenstein. Um, <laughs> Essam's screaming about how his face is basically on fire, and it's just like, just shut up. <laughs> Notices, and it's just like, you are female. And she's just like, I hope I'm a woman. <laughs> uh, it's implied that she's basically giving a tits and ass pose, but <laughs> yeah. in a very, it's just like, she twisted her body slightly, pressing some portions forward aggressively. That's a TNA pose. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I hope I'm a woman. Um, then, uh, this man comes out, Lowenstein, and he's just like, yo, what are you doing? How'd you get in here? And the guy's like, the studio sent them, and he's just like, yeah, no, that makes sense. But the look is all wrong. This is way too alien for what I need. I was looking for something more E.T. Cute, cuddly, not blades and chicken feet. Um, which is just an incredible description, frankly, of a hawk Um, But for all that he's suffering from the chlorine in the face, it's just like, yeah, nah, these two, we'll, we'll, we'll take them. And... Because he's a simp, Essam's just like, which one do you want, Subvisa? 
Um, and it, Edris off, opts to take the female because, uh, she's younger, seems healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, Essam goes to grab this girl so, um, Edris can infest her. Meanwhile, the guy's off and running to, uh, call the cops. Then he's calling his lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take much time at all for Idris to uh, infest this girl. And we have uh, this... Disc- a few minutes later, Essam uh, infests the male host. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thus, I became female, and Essam became male. And when the cops arrived, they found nothing suspicious. Our two mm-hmm. Hawkbajir hosts disappeared, their atoms scattered in the atmosphere of Earth by our dragon beams. We had, in the human expression, burned our bridges. And uh, they're now two yurks in Hollywood, baby. <laughs> um, uh, Edris's host is Jenny Lynn Cadwallader. Everyone calls her Jenny Lines. 23-year-old. Um, she's just sat in the back of her own head just like bitching and calling <laughs> Idris a total jerk. Um <laughs> And like it just like Jenny had no occupation, a concept that shocked my yerk sensibilities. <laughs> um, but she's a wannabe. She's an actress, mm-hmm. or assuming uh, and wanting to be an actress. Um, but and Edris quickly learns that the only thing Jenny's really interested in is uh, it's never named as cocaine. To be clear, it's a particular mood-altering chemical. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and that, but you know, it's one of those things that I don't think when a kid's gonna, but as adults, hearing somebody's called Jenny Lines and yeah. it's Hollywood, so you know, yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> but yeah, I ignored her because there's very little point in engaging in internal conversations with a host, one might as well have been talking to oneself, except in rare cases. And in the case of Jenny Lines, I might have had a more enjoyable conversation with a ship's computer, <laughs> <laughs> which is just. I'm amused. Uh, Essam is like, yeah, my host thinks she's dumb too, but he thinks she's hot. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but that's about it. And he's like, my host finds her desirable. Desirable? How so? She is considered physically attractive. It is a subjective evaluation based on visual memory and tied to the human's procreative instincts, which is just the best description of that, frankly. <laughs> it's just... <coughs> Uh, just like yep. allose- there we go. That's what allo sexuality. Just like that's what it is. <laughs> I guess. Yep. Yep. Um. But and then it just goes like, oh, okay, and goes and looks in a mirror. Just like Jenny thinks she's hot. <laughs> so has a nice little dig at Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm-hmm. Um. And clearly Jenny uh, has been dealing with Hollywood because uh, it just has access to a lot of memories of uh, Jenny being found attractive. Mm -hmm. So so there's this acknowledgement of Jenny's addiction and that Essam's host Lowenstein is aware of it and uh, worries about her. And they're then contending with what does that mean? To like mm-hmm. to be concerned um but they start <coughs> comparing memories about uh the two different hosts knowledge of 
Hollywood, a verb, and it just starts to regret taking the young, hot model when it turns out Lowenstein like, knows a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, she apparently grew up in Arkansas um, mm-hmm. and is not happy about it. <laughs> so it uh, calls it a disorganized brain. Mm. But this is them getting like a real in-depth understanding of what it means to be a human, their weaknesses particularly, mm-hmm. and how they can be targeted. Right. Um, and and it's imp- oh. Go on, please, Dirk. Uh, I was going to say, it's important to note here that what uh, Essek takes away from this is, oh, humans are weak. We can, like, get them easily. And Essem is like, I don't think that is quite the case because he's got like a different older person who like has an actual job and uh does things and like I'm not talking down on like actresses in general but like she's the a drug implication addict. and the implication especially with the name of Lowenstein and the fact that it's described as he's been through the most horrific torture and deprivation in history. Like there's strong implications that Lowenstein is Jewish and mm-hmm. like a Holocaust mm-hmm. survivor, which makes sense given the high concentration of uh, what ended up being Jewish emigration to Hollywood. That's why uh, Hollywood has a decent portrayal of Jewish folk because there's a lot of folks in that neck of the world. Mm. So uh, yeah, because he's not from this country originally. So, but it's like, this is somebody that's in their, what, 50s, 60s, in 19, in the middle, in like the early 90s. So. Uh, yeah. Um, but Jenny, uh, sorry, it just has this insight because after Essam is like, well, they're not weak. They can live through a lot and thrive. Um, he has weaknesses, but he isn't weak. Um, Idris is just like, no, they're not a strong species with a few weaknesses. They're weak with a few strengths. Mm-hmm. And she has the insight of we don't have to conquer them. They'll conquer themselves. So having learned the truth from Jenny. So. Yep. And we come out of the memory dump. Um. And Garof's like, that's a bit of an underestimation, given that Earth's still not ours. Uh, but it just is still like kind of caught up in the memory of it. Um, and like being happy then, uh, given that we know that she's struggling with pain at the moment, I can imagine how it'd be quite easy just to get stuck in the stupor of like pleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, after she's like, yeah, no, it's not ours. And then immediately snaps out of this. And then we have just this incredible back and forth between mm-hmm. one and three. Um, is this what Dirk, you highlighted that we should read out? Was that this book? Uh, that was, was that another Danielle? argument. But I, I, I did say that you should definitely get to do Mr. Three because I feel like it'll make you happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be known by one's friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm happy I'm happy to do the- to to read this out. Like <laughs> that's very good. Yeah, I'll because... grab a Visser one and you do Visser three. Alrighty. I'll be Eva. But... 
<laughs> Sweet. Let's go Thanks. from that Earth is not ours on uh, page 36. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, Earth is not ours because of the incompetence and treason of Visser Three. I left Earth in a position to be taken. You left Earth before the Andalites landed a force of trained gorillas and saboteurs armed with morphing technology. Go ahead. Tell him. Let Visser Three take all the glory for wiping out the Andalite bandits. <laughs> Soon I will make you suffer for this, Eva. If Earth was mine again, I would make short work of the so-called Andalites. But if I was to lose this trial, if I was to be exiled or executed, Visser Three left to control Earth. Well, if that was the case, I'd rather die far from the nearest Kandrona than give Visser Three the information he needed to secure Earth. It was seem that Essam was more correct than you in his assessment of humans, Garof prodded. While many humans have come willingly to us, many more do not. And we see reports of large numbers of host problems with humans. We have reports of Yerks driven to lose control under the constant internal pressure of a resistant human host. I bristled at his criticism. At that early point, we did not understand humans. I had encountered only two humans through infestation, a defeated soldier and a weakling enthralled to a chemical. Nonsense! You had, by your own admission, realised that humans are wildly differentiated as a species. You had every reason to suspect that humans could be resistant to your notion of conquered by infiltration. You deliberately overlooked that fact. You chose to underestimate the humans. You chose to ignore the more obvious fact that humans can be bludgeoned and cowed into submission and those who resist can simply be exterminated. Had I infested the Lowenstein host, I would have seen sooner what I saw anyway. But I was still more right than wrong. Humans are riddled with exploitable weaknesses. Humans, at least some humans, will believe anything. They will surrender their free will to addictive chemical compounds, to strong-willed leaders, to their own greed for power. It was from this insight that I realized the concept of the sharing. How many thousands of humans have in fact come to us voluntarily, submitted to us for empty promises of happiness or wealth or status. How many thousands? Not enough. You set the policy of conquest by infiltration. The time has come for all-out attack, a war of conquest, destroy their military power, seize their leaders, herd them into the vast pools we will build, infest them in their hundreds of thousands, in their millions, in their billions. So that was it. That was Visser Three's goal. All-out war. No. I couldn't allow that. It would result in the deaths of millions, which was irrelevant to me. But it might also result in the deaths of two. Two humans I would not allow to be killed. I stood up and shook my mangled fist at Visser Three. This fool would strip away the secrecy that has allowed us to make progress on Earth. We cannot hope to win an easy victory over a population of billions. 
There, there is her treason clearly stated. She would have us hide and creep and crawl forever when we should be attacking. She is inventing excuses to delay our takeover, stalling for time till the Andalites, her masters, can come to the rescue of Earth. I gave us the Earth. I found it. There would have been no Earth but for me. I created the sharing and drew tens of thousands of human hosts into our reach all without ever alarming the human authorities. I found the way, the path to eventually seizing five billion hosts, all with a mere handful of yurks. I handed all this to Visser Three, and what has he done with that? Uh, that, council members, is the question we... Uh, okay. But hey, uh, Visser Three is all ready to... Um, uh, we... And Visser 3 whips his tail around and Visser 1 thinks, oh, right, that's, it's me that he's attacking. But, uh, no, two of the Hawkbajir guards are apparently, uh, gone mad. Uh, the book's wording, not mine. The door gets yanked open. Draken beams are being fired. Um, the rest of the Hawkbajir are just standing there like nothing is happening or just staring blankly. And hey, through the door, a flash of orange and black, bigger than a human and so fast. Um, and then a bear is here, knocking over a hawk bajir and the council, who are bear reminder, are there as holograms. Um, are just like, hmm, okay, what's happening? And Visa 3 is the one that cries out, it's the Andalite bandits. Um, and it just sees this as an opportunity, like, oh, the Andalite bands have attacked. This is going to show his weakness, uh, Visa 3's impotence, destroy his uh, credibility, and leave her the winner. And what's interesting is this fight scene is brilliantly described, but Edris very quickly notices some things. First of all, there are only four. There is the grizzly bear, there is the tiger, and there are these two Hawkbajir. And she knows there should be six. And every, basically every recording they have, uh, there's six of them and one is usually an Andalite. Um, and there's lots of reasons, uh, to, that could explain that. But this is one of the things that's striking her as strange. Like, because there's always an Andalite visible because that way it helps disguise the fact that most of the group are human. Uh, meanwhile, she's like scrambling for a weapon. She has to demonstrate to the council that she's eager to kill. Um, and, uh, but the fact that she's so injured is making it difficult for her to like land a shot. Uh, meanwhile, the council of 13 are like backseat fighting, offering like advice. Um, avid spectators at a battle to the death. Um. But uh, then the tiger um, attacks the bear. And Visa 3 takes off the tiger's head uh, with his tail blade. And that's, uh, and the bear gets uh, shot with dragon beams. And that's when Edris gets clued in because this is fake. It's mm -hmm. all like a pantomime, uh, a fuckery, if you will. For our, our flag means death watching friends. Um, because the council don't know earth animals 
and how or how the Andalite bandits fight. But Idris can recognize um, what's happening. And one of these enemy Hawkbajir um, is like racist towards Visithrali to fight. And Idris picks up like this look of betrayal on this Hawkbajir's face before Visa 3 kills it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other Hawkbajir trader goes to run, gets caught halfway through the door. And uh, Edris realizes there's no way she can call this out. Um, that, like, Vista 3 just did a smart play with a, tig- a real tiger and a bear, and no way to prove that they're an Adelaide bandit in Morph. Mm-hmm. So uh, she sort of, like, acknowledges, like, yep, okay, you win this round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Um, and this is bad for her because her whole thing is that he's incompetent because he hasn't been able to deal with the bad lights. The, sorry, andalites. The bad lights are something very different. <laughs> Listen to Dumb Kids playing hero. Um, but and now as far as the council can see, the andalite bandits have been taken care of. Vista 3 has done what he said he would do. Boom. Meanwhile, the room is being cleared of corpses. Um... And I just realized her only hope is that the real Andalite bandits, because if they were to attack now, the council would realize that this whole business that just went down was an, a charade. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost a pity that I wasn't a traitor. If I were, I'd have been able to call upon them for help. As it was, I knew the location of one of the gorillas, but there was no opportunity for me to reach the boy Marco and less than no chance that he would do anything to help me. By the most terrible coincidence, he had become an enemy. He'd been present at the destruction of the Shark Project, and he'd been there on the mountaintop when Vista 3 and I fought to destroy a colony of Freehawk-Bajir and each other. You underestimated my son, my host said proudly. I'll kill him yet, human. No, I believe your killing days are over. And uh, she doesn't have a chance to reply to that, uh, because Garof is speaking. Um... And congratulations, Vista 3. It would seem you have gone a long way towards eliminating the bandit threat here on Earth, there on Earth. It was my hope that they would attack. <laughs> Vista 3 said, with insincere modesty, I deliberately planted the seeds of this moment, knowing they'd be unable to resist such a prime target. I am pleased you were able to witness the elimination of the only resistance on Earth. Yes, yes, Graf said, and the timing was, of course, fortunate. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, Garof is not blind. He doesn't trust the coincidence. And Idris is like, yeah, no, if only I could reach Marco and entice him to launch an attack, uh, then Visa 3 is basically going to be fucked. Um, but hey, they have a trial to carry on with. Uh, like, there's only like a day left. Uh, this trial can only go on for a day. It's uh, like very much established at the top of the book, there's a time limit. It's like, Vessel 1, you will continue with your presentation. I understand that we have a gap between the memory transfer protocols. A most suspicious gap. I'm doing some very dramatic pointing using my human anatomy, you guys. I hope you appreciate that. Um, And how there was more than a year where I just did not make any memory dumps, didn't contact Yerk High Command, 14 Earth months, where he's insisting that she contacted the Andalites and hatched her conspiracy. 
Do you have any evidence of this, Visa 3? Yes, I have the testimony of someone who was very close to Visa 1 during that critical time. A witness? Who? SM293. I tried not to show any reaction. Surely the Visa knows that SM is dead. Visa 3 looked away from the hologram. He smiled the unsettling Andalite smile that is done with eyes alone. No, Visa 1, SM293 is not dead. At least not entirely. Guards bring in the witness. And a human man, um, who's clearly been, um, living on the streets and, uh, abusing alcohol, uh, is brought to the council. And the council don't have any frame of reference for what this is or the, who this person is. Um, they, uh, as it's described, um, they do not understand that this sort of human could be found in the alleyway of any large city, drinking alcohol and ranting wildly about imagined conspiracies. And this one tries to play it off, um, downplaying the credibility of this witness. Uh, if this is Essam, let Essam withdraw from the host body and show himself. And this is where Vissa 3 plays his, like, trump card. Um, yeah, no, you're quite right. Essam's dead. I was having a little joke. But part of him lives on. Yes, this human is quite mad. But the question is, why is he insane? From where came his madness? And Gareth is like, okay, this seems sus. Um, proceed, but you're, you've been a warning. And this is when this man is like, that's an Andalite, and looks to this one who is the only human in the room. He can say, it's like, you see him, don't you? And then he points, he correctly identifies a hawk bajir And Visa 3 demands his name. Um, and it's the promise of a fresh bottle that uh, he can, uh, if he gives his name, he'll get a drink. Uh, the guy just says, oh, well, call me Spacey. Most people do. And when asked if the name Essam means anything to him, this man says, yes, Essam 293 of the Sulpniar pool. And this is where Vissel 1 is like, brain is going a mile a minute. Um, because this is bad. And when asked, uh, okay, so what was Essam 293? This man says, oh, he's a yerk. He came from, well, you know where he came from. And explains that Essam was in his ear, in his brain, and he played, he was a host. Um, and we get the reveal that this man and Essam became friends. Um, as much as a human can be with the Yerk, we were together for a long time. And we get the reveal that he had known a Yerk with the name of Edris562 and the rank of Subvisor 409. And Spacey smiles. It's just like, you mean Allison, Allison Kim. Uh, and Idris is just like, her heart stops beating. The blood froze in my human veins. Suddenly I saw through the matted hair, the filthy beard, the lunatic eyes. I saw through the years. Oh, yes, I remember her, the human said. See, she was Essam's wife. He was in love with her. Vessel lowered his thoughts sweet voice to an insinuating whisper. And she, this Alison Kim, this Edris 562, this Subvisa 409, she was in love with him as well. Yes, yes, Essam was sure of that. Mostly, anyway. See, if he hadn't been sure, he would never have gone ahead with it. With what? The babies. 
their kids see they had kids, twins, a little girl and a little boy. Um, yeah. So we, we learn later <clears throat> that Allison Kim, uh, on her, in her own right, uh, wanted or at least came to want these babies. We aren't told which of those two it is. Uh, what, what we're told is that there was this strange four-way romance between Essam, Hildy, which is uh, this man's real name, uh, Idris, uh, Idris, excuse me, and Allison. There are reasons why that's false. I think that Essam and Hildy had some kind of friendship, and I think that Hildy and Allison, uh, at the very least, were attracted to one another and found solidarity in one another during this experience. Uh, but to, in, in some takes, uh, it is, it is interpreted as a, uh, as a quartet. And there isn't really evidence for that, uh, that I have found. Um, so it's like, I'm, I'm on, like, I feel like I'm walking on glass when thinking about this particular instance because like this very very easily could slide into the realm of uh, sexual assault and unwanted pregnancy <laughs> um mm -hmm. and it's just like It's interesting in a very uh, dark kind of way, um, but it, it's just like, when we say that Idris is an unreliable narrator, she talks very favorably about these children. But there's a line at the very end that clearly tells you that Idris is not a mother in most senses of the word. She does not experience unconditional love for these children. Um, and, like, she's the kind of person, of parent, who wants their children to be exactly, uh, to meet the image that they expect. And if they don't meet that image, they are going to force them to meet that image. 
and the personhood of the child is not really taken into account at all. Um, There's um, a lot of talk, or I've seen a lot of conversations uh, as uh, we've moved into the increasing sort of issues around reproductive rights in the States with them attempt to make them have them be systematically removed Mm. and people talking about the kinds of parents who are just like oh well just have a baby and i will adopt your kids and these and it tends to be a very certain kind of waspy Mm -hmm. couple Mm -hmm. of certain age who want a very specific like i want a child because it will be a good reflection of me and these gender critical parents who refuse to have any child that isn't what they want them to be this is not mm-hmm. a strict, this is not an alien thing. This is a very, mm-hmm. I apologize if I'm not using this term correctly, but um, a very narcissistic. Uh, yeah, I think it's like, so. I, w- mm-hmm. I want so. my child to be this perfect reflection of me and how good I am. See mm-hmm. how wonderful my children are and how well that reflects on me. Mm-hmm. I think part of Idris, the impression I get is that she loves the idea of motherhood. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's like, yes. oh, yay. I, like, like I said earlier, playing happy families. Just like, yes, I will have this perfect child. And in her own fucked up way, yeah, maybe she does value the continued existence of these children, but only so far as she views them as extension, excuse me, extensions of herself. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, I made them. And like, as we learn, she was like still infesting a woman as she gave birth. Like she experienced mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. like giving birth does not make you a mother, right? Mm-mm. One, there are trans men and non-binary people who give birth. Two, it's not about the act of giving birth, despite what some gender critical people will try and tell you. That's not what motherhood is. Mm-hmm. Like it's raising people caring for them Mm -hmm. and it is fascinating to me of like in this way that Idris has sort of romanticized like certain aspects of humanity Mm -hmm. and how she loves having a human host like mm-hmm. Danielle was saying earlier, like it's clearly this uh, parallel between the way she talks about humans and her desire to like be the best at humaning mm-hmm. compared to um, Vista 3's. I described it then and I'll use that fetishizing of Andalites. Just like there is no better host to have than an Andalite and I've got an Andalite host. I fucking rock. Mm-hmm. You see my tail blade, you see all this cool shit I can do. And meanwhile, Idris is just the same with humans. Like, yeah, no, they got a fuck ton of weaknesses and they got strengths. Mm-hmm. And like, is out here just like, yeah, humans are dope. I don't want to kill a bunch of hosts so we can take them. Correct. Because she does regard humanity as a resource. But like plenty of people love their really nice car. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. still in a very objectifying way. Yep. This is a good villain, guys. This is my. <laughs> yep. Yeah, she's terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she's and she's. Mm-hmm. She's very terrifying in. Uh, and please forgive the Harry Potter reference. 
in the same way that Umbridge is terrified, right? Mm-hmm. Visser three is bombastic. He's larger than life. Um, and in that way, he is often non-threatening because mm-hmm. he, he is the joke. Visser three is here. Visser three is always here, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas Visser one is a much more human kind of antagonist. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that she's more dangerous and more more overtly complex and mm-hmm. has complex motivations um, and a lot of people know someone like Idris yeah and I love like I said, love uh, that she clearly holds her way of thinking as in higher regard. She definitely thinks she's better than this at three. Mm-hmm. Cause like, excuse me, I value the human resource. Yep. <laughs> um, excuse me. Just like he would wipe them all out in the process of them. I understand humans. Mm-hmm. Just like, excuse me, I'm a vegetarian. I respect <laughs> the planet. Mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like that, that particular brand of that has that whole vibe of entitled rich white woman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and which bugs me because I know for a fact that Eva is not white. So right. just like <laughs> it, it's yeah. very grating, and the fact that it's uh, also Alison Kim being Korean as well, mm-hmm. just like yeah. Yep. But hey, there's, there's, you, we could get really deep into the weeds about talking about like appropriating the voices of women of color and propagating just like, uh, for, uh, white agendas. It, it's done. It's out there. I could spin and point and I'm sure you'd find an example of where somebody's work has been appropriated and turned into something else. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Dear listener, that's uh-huh. where we're going to stop for today because we have been recording for three hours and 45 minutes and we are halfway through the book. Uh, <laughs> uh, four. Uh, four hours. Four hours, yes. Uh, and so we are going to record a part two. Uh, when you're listening to this, uh, there's going to be two weeks between part one, well, the, the way I label them doesn't really reflect this session one and session two of this book. Uh, so be patient. Uh, in two weeks, you will hear the back half of this book and the resolution of Visser. Um, in the meantime, uh, Dirk, where can people find you? I have been Dirk. You can find me posting about the two genders at PF underscore Diva. Uh, you can also find me on my home podcast, Hope's Hearth. It is a sci fantasy actual play podcast where we use a variety of games to explore from the luxury space communism of Hope's Promise to hypercapitalism hell. We're closing out our third season on a lighter note as kids doing magic. Crime and getting gross and very valuable kisses from Boggy the Frog. Uh, you can find us at Hope's Hearth Pod. You can also check out our podcasting collective, uh, Hearthside Enclave at HS Enclave, where we have 
fiction podcast called Post-Apocalyptic News Radio, and also a podcast about the other children's book series, Traumatizing Kids Across the Country, Redwall. Uh, this particular podcast is called Abbey Archives, and it's like this one, except instead of a newbie and somebody who knows the series, it is a pagan and a Christian going through Redwall, finding out what has aged like fine wine, what's aged like milk. Uh, I hear it's good if you like this, and if you like Redwall, you should definitely check it out. Uh, Hell yeah! It is... It is fun to listen to. Uh, <laughs> my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on the internet at Jade Oxford Rose. You can find their home podcast, Follow the Leader, at FDLcast on Twitter. Uh, check out Follow the Leader's Patreon, where episode two of our <laughs> Starcross game has just gone live. <laughs> uh and uh it's wonderful we were the most on our bullshit um <laughs> jade yeah. and uh their friends at ftl tell our friends at ftl tell amazing stories uh intensely character driven um very emotional narratives uh and you should definitely check it out uh, my co-host has been Danielle. You can find them on the internet at Red Tailed Hawk 90, including the games they write at on itch.io. Uh, I believe, uh, version two of Idiot Teenagers is close to going live. Yes. I, I have been saying that for about two years, but I mean it this time. <laughs> yeah, but now you're showing, now you're showing people the PDF. So it yes. feels more like it's imminent. Yes. Um, you should also check out their home podcast of the room where it happened. Uh, that's Roomware Pod on Twitter. Uh, their current, uh, season is not too far in. Uh, they're playing Urban Shadows in, uh, Appalachia, uh, Elder mm -hmm. County. If you like, uh, urban fantasy, you should check it out. Like, there's an incredible faction game going on as well mm -hmm. as the events of the main game. These yep. characters are fun, y'all. There is some, there's a fairy ML, fairy MLMs. <laughs> there's <laughs> werewolf unions. It's incredible. Check it there's out. There's also the stick of comfort. <laughs> the stick of comfort. Yes. Uh, um. and as we have been mentioning, uh, throughout, if you, like Marco as a character, but you're like, mm, what if he was a little bit older and possibly even sadder? Check out Dumb Kids Crying <gasps> Hero. Meet Benny LaFontaine uh, and the crew. We're not too far into our third season, so it's probably a good place to uh, to hop on. Uh, mm. Shit is wild. Uh, <laughs> Vista 3's dead. There's a blaship in the moon. Uh, things are fucked. Uh -huh. It's great. <laughs> oh, and uh, we just met a certain fuck boy. Which one? Well, you'll have to listen to season three of Dumb Kids to find out. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, the fuck boy cometh. <laughs> the fuck boy cometh. He does indeed. Let's do a clap. Let's do a clap. At the minute? On the minute? The minute.